Welcome to the Dewhawk Digest, the podcast for all things Loras College. In this episode, Director of the Center for Inclusion and Advocacy, Sergio Perez, joins us to look at the number of ways the center engages with students, as well as his journey from Loras student to a valued staff member. I'm Robert Waterbury, Assistant Director of Campus Communications, and I'm pleased to welcome my guest, Sergio Perez. Sergio, welcome to the Dewhawk Digest. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for making time um, for me today, and hopefully we're able to have a good conversation as to, um, you know, what we do and, and what are our hopes and, and kind of experiences that we're, we're becoming familiar with this semester. <laughs> well, and, and I had wanted to get you here in the studio long before this, but of course a, a pandemic happens, which yes. everybody saw coming. And, uh, you know, obviously the studio was kind of out of, out of, yeah, uh, a lot reach. has happened. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you know, the once in a lifetime, once in a century pandemic decided to show up this particular time. Uh, and you couple that with everything that's, you know, always been wrong with our world. <laughs> um, they're really making us, you know, d- dive into deep reflection, but, uh, if not now, then when, right? Absolutely. There's never never not a good time to, to look and reflect, right? Absolutely. But, well, let's start with a look at your background and yeah. reflect on your, uh, your your journey to Loris as a student. So what was it as a high school student that connected you to Loris and brought you here? Oh, boy. Oh, we're going back to back then. Okay. Um, you, you know, I, I went to high school, J. Sterling Morton East in Cicero, Illinois. I grew up in La Villita, Little Village, and Cicero. Um, so for me, high school was very much surrounded by people like me. You know, I wasn't the only Sergio Perez. Um, you know, there was, uh, it was more rare for me to see a white person in my high school than in, in my early years than it is now, <laughs> obviously. Sure. Um, and so I think uh, my high school experience was one that taught me a lot. So I'm the youngest of four brothers. Um, you know, that's one son of four to um, my parents who immigrated from Mexico to Chicago. Um, so we're all first generation, uh, first generation in this country. And in, in my case, I'm a first generation college student, college graduate. Um, and being the youngest four, I was the only one to go to college. Three older brothers, and they had very different life stories, but I think um, for what it's worth, they took the, the brunt of adjusting to this country. Sure. Um, with my parents not holding um, college degrees, both my parents going up to sixth grade in, in schooling in Mexico, um, and then leaving Mexico to the United States for the hope, right, the American dream of, of financial security, of giving perhaps their future, us, me and my brothers, a shot at, at something that they didn't see, but perhaps saw only on, on magazines or on TV. Um, and so they believed in the story of America. And they came um, and they raised us in Chicago, like I said, in Little Village, um, you know, an apartment building with a whole bunch of us, my uncles, um, too many people in, in a small apartment. <laughs> and then eventually my father bought a home um, in, in Cicero and we moved there. And, and so I think for my life, it was always being incredibly familiar with that life. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when my mom became a U.S. citizen, um, because when I was in first, second grade, studying, you know, 
easy, basic American history facts, she was studying those same facts for her U.S. citizenship mm -hmm. test. So I remember the flashcards in the living room, um, you know, testing her as to who George Washington was, who Abraham Lincoln was, um, helping her with her English as she tried to develop because that was that portion of the test that she had the most anxiety about, right? Sure, yeah. You know, she didn't know English, um, but she had lived here for so long and, and really wanted the citizenship. And so, um, you know, remember practicing and then her earning her her citizenship and, and going to the court when she was sworn in. Um, those are the stuff that I carry with me. My brothers um, starting some college but not finishing, one brother not finishing high school, um, and, and seeing you know experiences that um, I think taught me lessons of like what it could be to be in the streets, gang life, and all that stuff. Um, and so I'm grateful to all of that because all of those stories have kind of informed me who I am, um, have motivated me to be in, in, in inspired to be all the things I've hoped to become now in the future. Um, so I think with all that being said, how I got connected to Loras College, I don't remember. <laughs> but um, I do remember receiving a piece of mailing. Um, it was part of the Loras College Inspired Scholars. I still remember it. Um, and it said, you know, if you apply within seven days of receiving this, we'll waive your application fee, blah, blah, blah. And uh, coming from a poor family, yeah, I wasn't trying to pay any application fees. Yeah. And so I, I submitted that stuff, some of my information, sent it in. And within a week, I got my notice. Yep, you've been accepted. Like, yay. Um, went for a visit. You know, at the time, I remember looking at uh, Illinois State, DePaul University, um, University of Illinois in Champaign. And Loris, Iowa, was not at all in contention, but I thought, okay, this is a small little school, um, you know, Catholic that I knew, you know, as the youngest of four and one in which my parents didn't know what college was, okay, I think the Catholic piece might be helpful in showing them that this could be a way I could pursue higher ed mm -hmm. and with something that they are familiar with and trust. And so we came for a visit. It was, I want to say April, uh, but it was snowy. And the first time in Iowa, we get to Iowa, me, my mom, and brother, and we were just like, whoa, different world from where we grew up. You know, uh, the music's not the same, the, the restaurants aren't the same, the people don't look the same. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm the only Sergio here. Um, and we came for the visit. It was a good experience, and we came on the tour, and um, uh, it was Scott Strand who actually gave me my tour. Um, and I remember they showed us Christ the King. We, and I'll never forget this. My mom saw, and I'm, I'm not sure if it's still there, maybe it is, or actually they moved the location. There was an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Mm. And again, my mom, my parents were very Catholic. We were in a Catholic church. Um, and so she saw that. And I think for her, it provided a familiarity of, okay, something that I've known and trust and believe in, this faith, this tradition, is seen here. I think that was a moment for her. She's like, I can trust that this institution won't abuse my son. Right, I can send my you son know, here I and send, know that I could, he'll yeah, be okay. You know? yeah. um, and so I credit that moment because I remember we, lo we locked eyes and I was like, see, look, it's not too <laughs> wild out here. Um, and so I met everyone here and I remember talking to Dr. Cochran and it was just a good, it was a good visit that when I looked at all the schools I wanted to consider, um, it was Loris. It was far away that I could get away from my parents. <laughs> Love them. Um, but close enough that I could figure out how to get home. Sure. Um, 
And I am absolutely appreciative of, of you know, past Sergio for agreeing to do this because um, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about who I am um, and not just with regards to race and ethnicity and then migrant status and those experiences, but also um, as, a, as a, at that point, a closeted queer man trying to figure out life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I credit Loris with being a crucible, a moment where I got to see who I was and who I wasn't and form a new a me that was more aligned with who I actually was. And so it was a journey being here. Um, and, you know, the student experience was a lot of good um, and a lot of icky issues too, um, but one in which I never lost in the belief that Loris could be the place we say we are. Okay, yeah. So then then you have that experience. You graduate and you go to University of Wisconsin Lacrosse. Yes, so I earned my master's through lacrosse while working at UW Riverfall. So okay. uh, I was up there for two years, was, you know, after graduate school, uh, was out in California, worked out there, and then um, good old Kim Wash, you know, here at Loris, uh, you know, saw the opening as the director of intercultural programs. Says, hey Sergio, would you have any interest? And I was like, well, Kim, I do want to do this work full time, and I applied, and you know, <laughs> art took a risk on me, <laughs> and here I am today still. So if he was hoping to get rid of me quickly, you know, I think he might be upset. <laughs> well, it's definitely, uh, you're definitely not going to go anywhere soon because, <laughs> no. he, I mean, being the director of the Center for Inclusion and Advocacy, yes. that's a crucial role on campus. So yeah. why don't you tell me a little bit more about the role that the Center plays on campus with students, faculty, staff? Yeah, so I think uh, the role for the Center for Inclusion and Advocacy has, you know, evolved through the times. You know, when I was hired here in 2016, it was the intercultural program office, the infamous IPO, that's mm-hmm. what I knew as a student, um, but that was very much focused on student-facing pieces, uh, you know, how is it that we can help students adjust to lawyers, affirm who people are, and not lose sight of the, the things that make them most unique, um, but we saw, you know, you couple, at the time, you know, a very limited outreach. It was very much still focused just on international students and domestic students of color, um, but it wasn't really doing it too well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I saw an opportunity. How is it that we could reach out to the populations we should have been serving? You know, our black, Latinx, um, international students from different various migrant backgrounds, but also our LGBT queer students. And then I wanted to make space for our first generation students who were the first in their families to want to take this journey on. Um, being a first gen myself, it, it was big. It's like it was also who I am. Um, and so I wanted to expand the crowd, the, the coalition. Um, and so in 2016, we started offering pieces. Let's talk about uh, issues that are important in the black community, the Latinx community, the, the migrant community, the queer, first-gen, class. Let's talk about all of these um, and seek out through the differences how similar we can be mm-hmm. um, without losing sight of that, that uniqueness. And so with that, I think you know students really loved it. You know, and, and I will say this, we did it imperfectly. Sure. <laughs> you know, it's like often we'll get praised. Oh, you guys really know what you're doing. Like, oh, I wish y'all could see when we mess up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I want to publish those emails when I get called out in a loving way. Um, but I do think it, it, for the most part, it was something the students wanted. They wanted mm-hmm. to see their issues and stories um, centered. And so I think that's where we really started building you know, students who came to us. It's not like we give out grades, we don't give out things for free, something that can incentivize them, but they felt that their cultural, um, the identities, the the lives that they have were being acknowledged, affirmed, and also advocated for. So then, Mm -hmm. you know, a year ago, we 
we found that our name, Intercultural Programs, was no longer suitable mm -hmm. for the work we were doing. So we evolved right into the Center for Inclusion. And I think it's important work. Um, we see a lot of icky stuff in the world, right? Um, disconnects between our values of who we are and, uh, and the actions we ultimately enact. Um, we see rhetoric that dehumanizes people. And, and how is it, for me, it's how do we acknowledge people who want to learn and sometimes say bad things and correct things uh, or assume things that you know can be harmful? Mm -hmm. How do we keep that bridge intact? And for other areas, especially with our queer LGBT pieces, us, let's acknowledge our Catholic Church's role in that. How is it that we could build a bridge then in a place where perhaps we don't always see a bridge right away sure. um, and live in that tension of like, we haven't figured it out, but let's figure it out together. Mm -hmm. And so for us, that's meant, you know, continuing the previous work that we've always done with students, but trainings and offerings and professional developments um, for faculty, staff, and the community. Mm -hmm. And so we saw our role kind of expand um, in the last year or so, but also, uh, you know, in, in the times ahead. We know that we don't capture everyone in, in our efforts to be inclusive, um, but I like to think that we keep a level of humility in our minds to know and make it hopefully a little easier for people to call us out on that. Well, and as you said, I mean, it's, it's there's, you know, development hasn't been perfect, but we're also dealing with an imperfect world. Absolutely. And we're dealing, especially when you're talking about inclusion and advocacy, that there's going to be bumps, regardless mm -hmm. of, you I mean, even with the best intentions, you're going to mm -hmm. run into mm -hmm. those stumbling blocks. Mm -hmm. And so, oh, you know, it's it's the effort to continue to improve and make better. That's that's mm -hmm. where uh, that's where we're trying to be. Yeah, it's huge. It's mm -hmm. huge, and you know we can't escape that. You know, I always cringe as a you know myself when someone's like, "Oh, but you're an expert on this." I'm like, "No, I'm not. No, I am not." And don't ever call me an expert <laughs> um, because no one is. You know, I get better at it, but even in my best efforts, I will always fall short. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think. That's something you have to keep in mind. Um, and as we, you know, provide support for our students, um, you know, we're, we're ready to learn just as much as we hope that they're ready to learn too. Sure. So the center itself, so it's actually a physical location where, yes. where students can go. Mm -hmm. um, obviously kind of get together with, you know, people that they're comfortable with mm -hmm. and just kind of get adjusted to, to new surroundings. But it's it's more than just the location. There, As you said, there's services. There's there's ways yeah. for them to kind of outreach and, and connect that way. Yeah. So, I mean, so, yeah, we're on the fifth floor of the Alumni Campus Center building. Um, you know, you'll see us on the fifth floor and you see the flags kind of leading into our entryway. Um, but we're staffed by three professionals, an assistant director, um, myself. And, and an office coordinator, and all of us serve um, different populations. Uh, I think when it comes to the services side of things, uh, we provide education, mentorship, uh, a guidance on how to navigate college, especially knowing that a lot of our students are coming from first-gen backgrounds where they don't know who or what a registrar is. They don't know what an assistant dean of so-and-so does. Mm -hmm. um, they don't know what it means that they received an invitation to faculty office hours. For us, it's how do we address and acknowledge those gaps in this capital and, and help students know what they mean so they can take advantage of them just as any continuing generation student could. Um, and for us, it's, you know, uh, in many ways we, we become helicopter parents for our students who don't have that but may benefit the most from that kind sure. of advocacy. Um, and so I always tell folks, yeah, I you know we always in higher ed, oh, helicopter parents, we don't want them involved, these are adults. Well, first and students, actually, I want to acknowledge the important role parents, family supporters play in their students' journey because um, they need everyone. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's not just speaking in, in a deficit way, but they need their 
their cheerleaders to remind them that this is the right journey for them and to study and take advantage of all the opportunities. So mm-hmm. we serve that while their parents are away, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we, we are there to celebrate our students when they get that A or land that job. Um, but we're also there to you know ease and share the burden of perhaps when they lose someone important in their life, when they're distraught by something that happened in the world. Um, we become people's go-tos, their starting points. Um, and we hope that at the end of it, in their four years, um, that they can remember us starting with them and then them finishing on their own. Sure, and it's also there's also that level of support in terms of letting them kind of find them find their voices and find their way to grow, like the uh, kind of rekindling the the Black Student Union or the uh, the development of the League of the United Latin American Citizens, which the, the LULAC, which yeah. is actually within the you know mm-hmm. we're in our second year with that. I mean, just providing that support in order to really let them find their find themselves and really kind of move forward. Yeah, affirming who they are, letting them know that. You know, we're gonna. We should be different people from the first year we started at college to the moment they're crossing that stage and earning their degree. Um, it's a fun journey. Uh, seeing BSU come back and provide community, provide advocacy for our Black and African American students. Um, to see our LULAC, uh, you know, the things they were able to do uh, so quickly and provide a voice for our Latinx students. Um, it, it's been really neat. You know, I look at our traditions that we've started now, whether it's Latinx Heritage Night, uh, I think having students in this exact studio taking pictures with, 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 their, with their flags and their peers uh, and letting them know you're welcome to bring the entirety of who you are to this campus. And for us in the center, we, we're, we're going to showcase that if you're, if you're ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those who might not be there yet, we'll be here ready when you are. Um, and it's, it's, it's an piece seeing students develop and, and have confidence mm-hmm. and pride in who they are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it's fun. Yeah, and, it, and it's, you know, it's supporting those, uh, the um, kind of the, Un, kind of under-recognized pop part of the population, but also it's not just only them. It's, you know, it's really spreading the word to everybody on the campus. Like, hey, this is, these cultures are important and these are, you know, you might get more out of being involved and in kind of yeah. getting to know your, your fellow Duhawks. You know, and, and, and my approach to diversity, equity, inclusion, justice work is how can I build a bridge, you know? Uh, and not to sound so, you know, doomy, gloomy, but I do think, Often, people who do this kind of work think, how am I going to eradicate racism, sexism, homophobia, Mm -hmm. classism? And I said, we've had a lot of great people do work and and that's, you know, have their lives cut short or end with these issues still persisting. Um, My goal with our students isn't necessarily, hey, by the time we're four years, I'll make you the most anti-racist, anti-sexist, you name it, person be. Rather... I want you to recognize who you are, how you've been impacted by the systems, and how is it that we can interrupt it, knowing that we're always in our best efforts going to fall mm-hmm. short. How is it that we can make laws a little bit better for those who are like us who come after us? Yeah. Um, and it's 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 a lot of fun, you know. I think to our students, Lulac, what are y'all going to do? Y'all wanted this kind of community when you know you wish you had it in your first year. You are that community that you could become for that new incoming first year student. You know what will we do to help our own? Well, also saying to the rest of campus, how will we make this possible in all of our areas so that it's not just exclusive in the Center for Inclusion, but could be in student life and alumni in, in the academic world. Um, and it's been neat to see that energy expand and our students take that confidence in, in different ways. It's not just us now. Yeah, well, and if, if dealing with all these issues, inclusion and all these different issues weren't you know a full-time job as it is, then over the summer, 
students have to leave early, we go through a pandemic, and then we see all this social unrest come up across the nation, all this stuff that's kind of been hiding under the surface, but it's been there, and now suddenly it's bubbling up, and students are no longer here on campus. They're kind of off on their own to deal with it. Uh, over the summer, how did you, I mean, what kind of interactions did you have with the students to kind of, as they're, they're reacting and trying to process everything that's happening? And that was huge. That was, I mean, we're all learning how to live in a pandemic as the <laughs> pandemic happens. Um, and for us, it's, you know, as we saw social demonstrations occur, how do we keep hope alive knowing that the ways we had preserved our hope when we were together in person and community, uh, that's how we did it. Um, we didn't have that. We were all in our respective homes of, you know, better Wi-Fi some days than others. Um, I was out of this country. I was in Mexico for most of, you know, when we were at home. And so for me, it was a lot of maintaining relationships and, and, and hopping on that Zoom, that Teams call, that phone call, and saying, how are you doing today? How are classes? Have we made sure we're doing the work? Um, and acknowledging everything that was happening, the the isolation we might have felt, um, being disconnected from so many people, the fear we had of what is this new thing happening, you know, we're dealing with the sickness of racism, mm -hmm. but also a new medical sickness that it's like between two worlds, it can be especially, you know, demoralizing. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it was a lot of that. Providing community check-ins, I think, you know, when we saw the the... The, the national demonstrations around George Floyd, let's hop on a Zoom together. And it wasn't me saying anything. It was me saying, air out what you're thinking. Mm -hmm. Share in, in all of its glory, whether it's the goodness that you see in the streets and the protests to the sadness that your heart feels. And so I think those moments, it, it will never be the same as being in person, but it was what we needed to do to maintain and remember that we have good moments too. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it was a long summer, yeah. you know, and you know, this stuff, the, the toxicity of racism isn't gone. You know, we're, what, two weeks out of what's happened in Kenosha. Mm -hmm. um, and we're back on campus and we're still doing both the in-person check-in communications and, you know, online, uh, you know, community building. Um, this stuff matters and, pandemic or not we were going to be there we're being there um, trying to provide and hold space for students to 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 share whom they are what they're feeling um, and motivate us to to take a bigger role in ending this these bad things yeah and well and now that we're back on campus and that the students have a chance to actually be together and kind of interact directly as opposed to you know connecting you know yeah. digitally what kind of uh I guess what kind of reaction, what kind of uh, discussions, support are you seeing just with them among the students? Yeah, and I think from our students, you know, they are coming from an incredibly active uh, summer with regards to social demonstrations. Um, we are not okay with bare minimums, you know, and I think we're pretty clear that so we're not going to praise for folk, folks who are doing the bare minimum. Uh, for a lot of our students, we're we're protesting against something we have always felt. And when I say we, I'm particularly talking about our, uh, people of color. Mm -hmm. uh, and in this case, we, we understand that what happens to our black and African-American sib African siblings shows up for us Latinos and other folks who might be multiracial, biracial. And so how is it that, um, in many ways similar to the summer, we preserve our hope? And I think it's, you know, this past week there was a rally here in Dubuque um, 
seeing our BSU, you know, UD's BSU, the community in Dubuque show up, LULAC show up to let us know in a, in a number of ways that we're, we're still hurting, but we're still hoping mm-hmm. at the same time. And, and I think um, those, are, those are things that our students are, are coming to mind. They, they're still active. They still want to do change, and we're going to help them along the way. Um, while also making sure that we don't exhaust ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and the most important thing is that these discussions are now happening and things yeah. are, the awareness is growing and that's, yeah. Well, and it's like moving, you know, moving from discussion to action practice, right? Uh, and acknowledging there are students, you know, they're students still. Mm-hmm. They're still studying what they're supposed to be studying <laughs> and they're going above and beyond, you know, what students should do in, in trying to make sure that we honor their dignity. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's huge. Yeah. So one other thing I wanted to, to mention, because um, we're kind of starting to run up on our time, but I Oops. did want to know, no, that's great. <laughs> uh, one thing I want to mention, so in addition to being the director of the center, you also have a new role, and that's as a college diversity officer and advisor to the president. First of all, congratulations. Thank you. That's thank you, fantastic. Thank you. Now, what does it mean? <laughs> yeah, so uh, I think, it, you know, it's, it, it's the college's efforts, the president's effort, to institutionalize this work in all of our areas. Uh, We wanna make sure that uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, justice work is not gonna be, um, you know, if I get to it. It's gonna be project A, right? Mm -hmm. The first thing we gotta do now. Um, And I think we're gonna see uh, an increase in all of our areas um, doing some neat stuff. Just to give you some ideas already of what we've been able to do is, uh, working with alumni for this homecoming, we already have three uh, alumni socials set up for our Black and African American Loris alums, our Latinx alums, and LGBT queer alums, um, and that's just it's 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 awesome to see mm-hmm. that we have student life um, doing programming exhibits that are going to teach on these issues. So next in two weeks rather they're going to have a Black Lives Matter exhibit where people can walk through there, learn on their own pace, and reflect deeply as to what this means. Um, we have spiritual life doing all their work with interfaith. Uh, how is it that we're making space for folks who um, might be uh, different minoritized, uh, marginalized faith traditions? Um, there's a lot more coming. Uh, and what I'm most excited about is the work we'll do with, with faculty. How is it that we could provide opportunities, funds to, to increase the scholarship opportunities that faculty and students can take on research topics on diversity, equity, and inclusion. So it's all of us doing a lot of good work. Um, I get to be the person that I think uh, hopefully helps motivate and organize um, people around these topics. Uh, but to the point that I think I was trying to make earlier, this won't be something that just the Center for Inclusion and Advocacy does. This is going to be something that Loris College does. Yeah, so that's great. I mean, some great changes coming mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all for the better, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So that's good. But Sergio, thank you so much for coming in, taking the time to chat with me, kind of giving some of this background mm-hmm. and um, expanding on what the center does and kind of giving your history. I'd really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, and, and uh, you know, for folks who are listening out there, keep doing the good work. Uh, and I can only encourage you all to keep learning because that is our life's calling. Absolutely. And, and we'll, I'm sure we will have you back again, <laughs> hopefully sooner rather than later. So. Sounds good. Thank you, Robert. All right. Thanks, Sergio. And I want to give a quick thank you to our producer, Trent Hanselman, who always makes me sound better than I really am. 
And thank you to everyone who listened into our discussion. For more podcasts as well as Loris news and features, be sure to visit the Loris Daily at daily.loris.edu. You can also find more podcast episodes on iTunes and Spotify, so check them out. We hope you'll join us next time for another Dewhawk Digest. Until then, take care of yourselves and each other, and go Dewhawks. <laughs>